be here with you again at Family Camp 4, and uh, we on uh, Sunday talked about three wins for the week. Win number one was to enjoy the experience. How many of you had a great day already today, right? Yeah, right on. Great time today already. Lots of fun activities going on. Uh, Win number two was to encourage and strengthen somebody else as you go throughout your week. So we're having fun on purpose this week. And I want to tell you, there's some people that have really encouraged and strengthened us. Uh, I have a little friend whose name is Titus, and uh, he drew me a picture of that um, hieroglyphic of of the Yahweh inscription that we saw that little movie on on Sunday. And uh, so, so I have that little special treasure with me that I'm super thankful for. And uh, the Pearson family down here and some friends, they took Kelly and I to the Viking to get ice cream. That's what I'm saying. Like you want to encourage and strengthen somebody, go get them ice cream, right? That, that, was, that was, we had a great time with them. And, uh, but, I, I, but I have to, man, I hate to put new rules at camp, but we have to institute one new rule and I'm going to call it the Willie rule. Okay, the Willie rule, because Sunday night at dinner, I asked Willie, I said, hey, um, when do we sign up for the pickleball thing? Because Kelly and I have never played before, and we really wanted to learn how. And he said, that sign up will be tomorrow. And, uh, and I said, will you give any instruction for how to do that? And he said, yep, we're going to give instruction, and, and you'll, you'll get it all before you sign up for the tournament. And then he looked at me and said this, it's a really great game for old people. And I looked at him and I said, Willie, did you sit in the morning service this morning? And he said, yeah. And I said, did you fall asleep during the part of encourage and strengthen this week? And you know what he said? No, no, no. I've already done that. I filled in my blank for the person that I encouraged and the person that I strengthened. So here's the Willie rule, okay? That even if you've encouraged and strengthened somebody, it doesn't mean that you can be mean after that, okay? So if somebody's being mean to you, you can just say, no, 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 remember the Willie rule, okay? That, that's the Willie rule. Where's Willie at? Is he back there somewhere? Oh, surely he's not here. We, okay, we all got to remind him when you see him, okay? Everybody's got to remind him of the Willie rule. All right, and then, and then the last thing, um, examine God's word, which we're going to do tonight. Now, the kids, before you get dismissed to go to the back, I want all the kids that are going to leave to come right up here in front, okay? So come up here first, and then I will dismiss you from here. Okay, stay on the floor, not on the stage, stay right there on the floor, okay? Because I got some, and you can spread out, because we'll have plenty of room. And if this turns into mass chaos, I apologize to everybody, okay? Okay, yeah, stay stay right there. Stay on the floor level. Don't come up on the platform because I got a couple of things that I'm going to pull out of my treasure chest that I want to remind you of. Now, um, I had a balloon the other day. I told you we're going to use a balloon. And inside of the balloon, there's M&Ms. Remember the M&Ms that I pulled out? Okay, so they're inside this balloon. Now, I'm going to tell your mom and dads tonight what this is all about. So when you get home after, after tonight, 
Ask your mom and dad, what was the deal with the balloon and the M&Ms? They're going to tell you that tonight, okay? So a lot of pressure on mom and dad to stay awake tonight. But, but here's, here's what I want to, want to show you tonight, okay? And this is what I call the magic coloring book. Now, I, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it uh, several times. I'll, I'll come all the way down here, do it several times so you all can see this, okay? So, so here's the deal about this. If, if you look at this book really carefully, you will notice that there's no pictures in it. Do you see that? No, no pictures in the coloring book. Okay, let me come over here so everybody over here can see it. No pictures in the coloring book. See that? No pictures. Okay. No, it, it's a coloring book, right? But there's no pictures in the coloring book. Okay. Now, now hold on, hold on. Okay, so here, here's what I want to tell you. We're going to study with your mom and dad tonight the verse out of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. There's some people that think that this Bible that we're going to study about in here, and you're going to study God's word tonight too, there's some people that think it's like this coloring book that, that has no pictures in it, that it's basically worthless. It has no value. It's an old book. It's outdated, and it has no value for us in our lives at all. Some people in our world think that's what the Bible is like. Okay, now I'm gonna have uh, I'm gonna have somebody help me. This right here, this little girl right here. Like, just tap on the top of that book twice with your hand. Okay, yeah, just tap it twice. Okay, good. All right, now some people think that God's word actually does have some value, and it's kind of like our coloring book that has black and white pictures in it. You see that? See, it has black and white pictures in it, right? Okay, did, did you see that? Okay, no, I'm going to show you that again. Okay, it actually has black and white pictures. Did everybody see the black and white pictures? Okay, now, so, so some people think that the Bible is good, that there is some value to it, but it's not really like God's word like other people think it is. But then there's some people that think, people that love Jesus, Christ followers, they think this book is inspired, authoritative, that it's inerrant, that it's perfect, just like the Word of God says. And for people that really believe that about the Bible, it's like our coloring book actually has colored pictures in it. You see that? See, there's colored pictures in our coloring book. Let me show you over here, okay? Colored pictures in our coloring book. Okay, now, who wants to know how I did that? Okay, magician never tells, okay, so I'm not telling you, all right? Okay, so when you go tonight, when you go tonight, you remember, this is the most amazing book that we will ever have in our lives, so go learn about it because it's perfect, and when it's perfect, it revives the soul. Okay, so there's our, there's our little thing for the kids tonight. So fourth through sixth graders, head to the back, and uh, you guys go first. Fourth through. The coloring book is not the best book in the world, not by far, but the Bible is. Fourth through sixth graders. Okay, first through third graders, you guys go now. 
Find your teacher in the back back there. First through third graders. All right, there they go. Mom and dad, you can turn to Psalm 19. That's where we're going to be tonight. First through third graders are heading out, and so the four and five-year-olds, you guys can go. There you go. Fantastic. Fantastic. How many mom and dads want to know how we did that? <laughs> Sorry, can't tell. Okay, can't tell. All right, Psalm 19. What a great and amazing chapter in God's word this is. Let me pray for us and let's start. Lord, wow, what a great day that we had. Thank you for all of the excitement, um, just a culture of fun and excitement and encouraging and strengthening one another. God, as we stop now to do the third win of the day, we've enjoyed the day, we've encouraged and strengthened others, but now we get to examine your word. And we're going to look at a psalm that maybe is, is just a cornerstone for the belief that we have of what God's word is. So as we open that up tonight, Lord, help us to be true to the text and help us to learn and glean from it so that we can leave here encouraged and strengthened by your word tonight. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 19. C.S. Lewis said this, and I think this is on the screen up there. I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. One of the greatest lyrics in the world, Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, we see six names for the Word of God, six characteristics of the Word of God, and six blessings for obeying the Word of God. And so, so here's what I want to do. Let's, let's take a look at the verses that we're going to look at um, throughout the week. And uh, Kel, I forgot my glasses in my bag there. Can you bring those up to me? That's going to help me out here. Just Since I'm old, <laughs> right? So what Willie said is actually true. And we did have a great time playing pickleball today. We'd never played that before. Kelly and I hadn't. And I think I'm going to feel that in the morning. All right? Anybody else there with me on that kind of a thing? Psalm 19, starting in verse 7, it says this. And this is where we're going to spend the whole week. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. And so we are going to put Psalm 19 to the test. And if you have your outline, you're going to see um, what this looks like. We're going to put Psalm 19 to the test. And here's what we're going to look at, number one. The T is this. Here's what the text says. The law of the Lord, okay, the Torah or the divine teachings of the Lord. 
And this would have been, of course, um, it, back in the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the divine teachings, we would say that also includes the rest of the canon of the scriptures, the 66 Bibles that we have, that we hold in our hands today, that this law of the Lord, this, these divine teachings that we have in, in our Bibles today. And sometimes um, we think, okay, so how did all of this get put together? Have you ever thought about that? Or have your kids ever asked you, like, how did some books make it and other books not make it? And so, so I want to give you a really cool resource. It's a really easy book. Um, it's written by James McDonald. Uh, let's go to the next picture. Noah, do we have that picture of uh, the God wrote a book? Um, are you sure you're on the right day for my slides? Because this is really going to be important tonight. <laughs> There we go. Look at that. Fantastic. You're a good man. Um, so this, this is a, if you want a really good resource, um, just to go, how did it all come together? How did God put it all together? Um, this is a really great book. James McDonald's had some issues in his life, and, um, and, but the book's still really good. And you can find it on eBay and all of that, and it'll help you. And if your kids have questions about how did all this come together, it actually is a very simple read that'll help you kind of realize how all of the Bible came together and why we have the 66 books that we do and all of those things. But the, Psalm 19 says the word of the Lord is perfect. How can you have something that's perfect? There's only one way. It's the only way is, is that God wrote a book. And let's remind ourselves of a couple of, of key scriptures. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, For no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God wrote a book. Second Timothy chapter 3 says, All scripture is breathed out by who? By God. Okay, It's, it's, it's not by man, it's by God. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I was reading in Galatians chapter 1 this morning where Paul said, hey, the gospel that I preach to you is not from man, it's from God. And that's so important for us to understand that, that these divine teachings are not the teachings of man, they're the teachings of God. And if that's true, if it's true, then there can't be any mistakes in what we read in God's word. There can't be errors in what we read. And so let's go to the next test that we're going to look at, which is this, the law of the Lord is perfect, and hopefully that encourages us when we have perfect things. So let me ask you this. So, um, so let's think about this. So we're at camp. Let's, let me talk to this little section right over here and get a couple of answers from you. How great would it be if your kids were perfect this week? What, what, would, what could your kids do? Like you said, if my kids did this, like it would really help them make a perfect week. What would be something they could do? Oh, you all have perfect kids, right? Do what? Go to bed on time. Okay, what was that? Okay, good, good. How about obey when you ask them to do something, right? Now, let me ask you this. If your kids 
were perfect, would it revive your soul? Now, they're not going to be, but it would revive our souls. How about, how about this? Let's, over here. Um, how many of you would go, man, it would be great if my spouse was perfect this week? No, don't raise your hand, okay? <laughs> but, well, well, yeah, yeah we, we don't want a whole bunch of counseling this week. Uh, let's talk about this. What would perfect weather this week look like? If the weather was perfect, what would it be perfect for you? What temperature? 75 to 78, right? Somewhere in there. How many of you would like, like sunny every day? Light breeze? How many want a little bit of clouds, right? That kind of thing, right? Like how... How great would perfect weather be? What it would revive your soul. Um, what, what would, this group here, what would a perfect speaker be like this week? Don't answer that one, okay? <laughs> perfect. What would perfect food look like? Right? It already is. There we go. Food's been amazing, right? Things that are perfect in our lives, they would revive our souls. What's perfect in our world? Well, nothing, basically, other than the claim of Psalm 19 is that the word of the Lord is what? Perfect. Now, that's a really high mark to say this is perfect because we know nothing in our world that is perfect. Our families, our churches, all of those things, we know nothing that's perfect, but the word of God is. And so here's, here's kind of a couple of connotations of what that means. The word perfect means all sufficient. And it has two ideas, two contexts. And, and one is this, an, an archer who shoots an arrow and hits the mark every time. Okay, the word of the Lord is perfect. It hits the mark every time. Now, here's a question. How many deer hunters do we have in the crowd? I mean, look, this is Iowa. Man, there are like big bucks in Iowa, okay? Let me, let me show you the one that I got last year, okay? There's, there's the deer. It's the biggest one I've ever gotten, okay? You know what? I made a perfect shot on that deer, and he ran 40 yards, and I watched him drop over. That, if you're a hunter, that's a really good feeling, okay? Now, you th- how many of you think I've ever missed when I'm hunting? Yeah. Pat, your hand went up way too fast over there, brother, okay? Uh, you ever missed? Yes, right? Uh, because why? Because we're not perfect. We don't hit the mark every time. How many pastors are here? How many pastors are here today, Okay. How many of you, when you preach on a Sunday, have a family that comes up to you and says, Pastor, did you live in my house this week? Pastor, did you put video cameras in my house this week? How did you know that's what we needed to hear exactly what you preached this week? Because that happens all the time. All the time. You want to know why they feel that way? Because as pastors faithfully preach the word of God, the divine teachings of God, it hits the mark every time. 
It, it never misses the mark. And that's one of the ideas that we have here as that it hits the mark every time. I have, I have a really good friend who's a, actually an incredible hunter. And, and he, um, last year, he's hunting a world-class buck. And, and if you're not a hunter, you don't understand this, but it's over a 200-class buck. It's an absolute monster. He's got it on camera. He hunted it over 40 days in a row Last year, he was in his tree stand more than 200 hours, 73 hunts in a row. And one time, he had that deer at 30 yards, 30 yards, and he pulled the bow back, and he shot, and it hit a little limb, and it deflected the arrow, and he missed the buck, and he never saw it again. He's a really good hunter, but you know what? He's not perfect because there's nothing in our world that's perfect other than the claim that God's word is. And we're going to put that to the test in just a minute. But, but here's, here's the other idea, the other context of, of God's word being um, perfect and sufficient. And, and the other context is that it's all-encompassing. Okay, God's word is all-encompassing. And so, so the way I illustrate this is um, I put M&Ms in the middle of this balloon, right? And it doesn't matter what happens with these M&Ms, they're always encompassed by the balloon, which means that, that nothing's ever gonna get out of here and it's always gonna take care of whatever's inside. Think about God's word like that. God's word is all-encompassing to us when we read it, when we need something. So if we are dealing with anger, worry, fear, or depression, does God's word have an answer for us in those things? Absolutely. If we're dealing with dating, marriage, parenting, or communication, does God's word have answers to those things for us? Absolutely. If we're dealing with worship or discipleship or evangelism or how to walk the Christian life, does God's word have the answer for that? Absolutely it does. It's all-encompassing. It has what we need. Money, giving, saving, spending, all of those things. Look at what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says. By his divine power, he has granted us how many things? All things. Okay, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. God has given us all things that we need to make it through this life and honor and glorify him and be pleasing to him. He gives us everything that we need. And does God need our help? Does God need anything from us, right? I love what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 40. It says this, Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? Or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to, en to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who has it that has taught him knowledge or shown him the path of understanding? It's a rhetorical question, right? Like God doesn't need anything from us. And if God needs anything from us, then his word is not perfect. And it's not all sufficient. And it's not all encompassing. God doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. Had a, had a really interesting story uh, several years ago. Uh, the Catholic priest in our community, a friend of mine, 
Uh, and if you live in a small town, you got to understand when you do ministry in a small town um, that even people that pastor other churches, like you need to be friends with them. Okay, that's really important because you live in the same community and, and you can't be like doing this with people. But when you're friends with people, you can also have really good conversations with them. And so I was having this conversation with the Catholic priest um, in our town and, uh, and we were talking about the sufficiency of the word of God. And, and he didn't agree that God's word was, was all that we need for everything for life and godliness. And so here's what you do in a small town. If you don't agree with somebody, then you write an article and you put it in the local paper. Okay? And everybody reads the local paper so they know like, like what, your, what your point is. And, uh, and I want you to read, I, wa- I want you to see um, what this guy wrote, what this priest wrote. And he's a friend of mine. And, uh, and he actually, um, for a priest, like, Oh, man, kind of a tough name, Father Faker, okay? <laughs> that, that's a little challenging, okay? Um, but, but, but honestly, a really nice guy. But here's what he writes in our local paper after we had this conversation. He said, many religions claim the Bible is the only rule of faith, meaning that it contains all the materials one needs for theology and that this material is so sufficiently clear that one does not need apostolic tradition or the church's magisterium, which is their teaching authority, to help one understand it. Many think that anything extraneous to the Bible is simply non-authoritative. You know what I say? You got it, dude. Right? That's exactly what I believe. That anything, that if we need more than what's in here, then what's in here is not perfect. It's not perfect. And so the claim of God's word is that this is a perfect scenario and we don't need anything else. Now, let's go to the S. The word of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And that has the idea of giving new life to the soul. And it's actually reviving is the same word that we read in Psalm 23. And uh, let's read this together. Read this with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Restores is the same word as revive. Okay, It's what God does to us. God is the one that restores and revives our soul. And one of the ways he does that is through the word of God that it's perfect and things that are perfect revive our souls because there's nothing that we know in this world that's perfect other than the word of God. So we're going to put this to the test. I told you every night I'm going to take you to a place in Israel. And tonight I'm going to take you to a place called Hebron. Okay, now, just, just by chance, has anybody been to Hebron that's ever visited Israel? Has anybody been there? Okay, a couple of people have been to Hebron. That is fantastic. Most tour buses do not go there. But Hebron is a really cool place, and, and, and you see it on the map here, and I got my cool little pointer. Um, you can see that um, right up here, uh, that's, uh, that's where Jerusalem is. Bethlehem would be just down this direction. And then you have Mamre and Hebron that are right next door to each other. And, and it's important for you to understand um, that they're right there together. So um, if, you, if you drive into Hebron, you will soon realize that you're not in Kansas anymore. 
Okay, uh, let's go to the next picture because you'll go by the local meat market and if you want camel steak or camel burger, you can stop there and get it. Now, I've never seen a, a camel uh, shop before, but that, that's camel. And so you're like, okay, we're not in places where we've been before. And, and that's cool because I love being in those kind of places. But what's so special about Hebron? Okay, Hebron is mentioned 87 times in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 23, Abraham buys a cave in Hebron, and that's where he's buried. It's where Isaac's buried. It's where Jacob's buried. It's where Sarah's buried. It's where Rebekah's buried, and it's where Leah is buried. Why Hebron? Why Hebron? Caleb, of Joshua and Caleb, um, for his inheritance in, Je in Joshua 14, he said, I want Hebron. Why Hebron? David, in 2 Samuel 5, it tells us that he spent seven years as the king. The first place that he was the king was in Hebron. Why Hebron? Now, now I want you to see something here. Um, I'm standing on a hill where they're excavating the palace of David from his first seven years. And as you look down over modern day Hebron here, you see this structure right here. And I'm going to show you a bigger picture in just a minute. But that structure is built over the cave where Abraham was buried. And David's palace looked right at the cave where the patriarchs were buried. So why is Hebron so important? Herod the Great built a scaled-down version of the Temple Mount that's in Jerusalem in Hebron, and this is it right here. Um, it's an actually just a magnificent building, but why did he build that in Hebron of all places? And the Roman Emperor Constantine only ordered four churches to be built in the Holy Lands, and he was the Roman emperor that spread Christianity, especially throughout the East. Four churches he ordered to be built in Israel, and one of them is in, guess where? Hebron. Why Hebron? Why Hebron? Well, take your Bibles. Go, go to Genesis with me. We're going to do a really quick uh, study here. Genesis, and we're going all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 11, let's show the map here, Genesis chapter 11, Abraham, the journey of Abraham, Abraham leaves Ur, we know he goes up to Haran, then he comes down into the promised land over to Egypt, and look where he ends up, where did he end up, right there, Hebron, okay, Abraham ends up in a place called Hebron, in Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant is given to Abraham that out of him would come a son that would be a great nation, that all of the world would be blessed through him. That's Genesis chapter 12. And then I want you to look at Genesis chapter 13, verse 18. And it says this, Genesis 13, 18. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Okay, so 
Abraham is in this place called Mamre, which is right in the vicinity of Hebron, and he built an altar there. And so why is this place so special to Christianity over the years? We, un- we learned that in Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. Take your Bibles and turn there. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. Why is this particular site so incredibly important? And Genesis 18, 1 says this. And the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. The Lord, I believe this was the pre-incarnate Christ, met with mankind at Mamre. God met with mankind at Mamre And he met with Abraham by the great oaks of Mamre. And it says that Abraham was there and he built an altar to the Lord and all of those things. How do we know if that's true or not? Right? How do we know if that's true or not? It's a great account. God met with mankind. But there's so many significant things that happened there that some people obviously believe that's true. So the question is, is it true? And so so here's what I want you to see. If this account is true, then then it's going to help us see that God's word is perfect and it can be trusted because it goes all the way back to Abraham. So let me put this book up here, and uh, and you might want to write this down or take a picture of it. I actually have one on my table, but you can't have it. Um, But if if you want a a greater detail of what we're going to talk about tonight, what I'm going to show you tonight, um, this is my friend Joel Kramer. That's the guy that we showed the video of on Sunday. And he wrote a book, The Archaeological Evidence of Where God Came Down. And one of the places that he looks at from an archaeological viewpoint is Mamre, where God came down and met with mankind. Now, l- let, me, let me help you kind of understand a couple of things about this. Um, but this is what Mamre looks like today. Okay, and uh, and it's and it's right. It's about two miles from where the tomb of Abraham is. This is the this is the excavation of the archaeological site of Mamre, and it's right in the middle of Hebron today. And there's a school that's right next door to this. And uh, and when we were there this time, there was a bunch of kids um, that came out from school. And, uh, and they saw a bunch of Americans out there. There's the kids. And they actually started uh, yelling, Allah Akbar, and they were throwing rocks at us. And, um, and so, I, so I ran to my bag. I grabbed a bunch of candy, and I ran outside the fence. And I'm like, hey, come here. I got stuff for you. And uh, they're just being kids, right? And uh, so we had a great time just uh, meeting some of those precious kids that are they're living right there in Hebron. But, but here's the thing about, about Mamre. In the 1920s, a German archaeologist, not a, not a biblical archaeologist, a German archaeologist na- named Evastrus Mader um, dug Mamre for the first time, 1926 to 1928. And the only reason he knew where to dig and look for something significant is because he had an ancient text that told him something significant happened there. What's the ancient text? It's our Bibles. Right? Right here, Genesis tells us that God came down and met with mankind at this place called Mamre, which is right next to Hebron, where Abraham is buried. 
And so he did an excavation, and I just want to show you some things that he found. Um, and and this, this is just incredibly important and very interesting. But one of the things they found was they found pottery that dated back 2000 to 2000 BC. So there was an occupation there for a long period of time. And here's what you got to understand about pottery. Um, when archaeologists are making a dig, they're digging down through the layers of dirt. Um, they're finding different kinds of pottery because pottery helps them date the occupation of that time because pottery is all different. So Canaanite pottery looks different than Philistine pottery, which looks different than Roman pottery, which looks different than Islamic pottery, which looks different than Jewish pottery. So as, they, as they're digging down, they find pottery. They know the date of, of the occupation by the kind of pottery they find. Think about it like finding an old photograph, okay? So if you found this photograph, okay, you can look at that by the car, the dress, the hair, I mean, all of those things, um, and it doesn't, doesn't help, uh, doesn't hurt any that the 65 is written at the bottom of the picture there, right? But, but even if it wasn't, you could go, hey, that looks like the 1960s because of everything there. And so pottery is like finding an old photograph. It helps you understand where you are in the chronology of, of things that have happened in our world today. And so when, when Mater dug in in Hebron, uh, they found pottery that dated to 2000 BC, um, which showed there's been a long occupation of people that are living there. Now, I'm going to go to this picture, um, and here we go. So this is the picture from, um, it's actually in Joel's book, um, and this is the excavation site. So as Mater started removing dirt and getting down to the bedrock, Here's some of the things that he found that are very significant of what our Bible says. So, so let me point a couple things out. Um, right here is a spring that is still active today. Okay, now that's very important um, if you're Abraham. Did Abraham have a lot of stuff? Okay, family, sheep, I mean, all of those kind of things. You have to have water if you're going to live somewhere. And that spring is still alive and active today right at this site that is called Mamre. And so they found the spring. They found these big holes. See these holes in the bedrock? See, they found these big holes in the bedrock. What do you think big holes in the bedrock might be according to what the Bible just told us? Pardon? Wells, not wells. The Bible just told us that Abraham stopped and he camped at the great oaks of Mamre. Here's what they find in the Middle East when there are huge trees that grow up out of the bedrock and those trees die is that they leave a big hole in the bedrock where the trees had grown. Genesis tells us that Abraham, and they made it very specific, there were the great oaks of Mamre, which is where he lived, and so, so that matches. Then you see this corner right here. This corner is very significant because this corner, Mater believed, was the structure of an ancient altar that had been built right there that somebody did sacrifices on. Genesis 13, 18 said to us that Abraham built an altar to the Lord at Mamre. And when they excavated, they found a corner that, that, Mam that uh, Mater said, this makes all the sense that that was an ancient altar. 
And then they found a, the ruins of a Byzantine church. You see that arch right there? Uh, that would be called the apse of the church. And, uh, and that goes back to the time of Constantine that built a church at uh, this site, at, um, at Mamre. And it all matches exactly what God says as they did the archaeology and as they dug down and as they did all of those things. And so the word of the Lord is perfect. Does that match what God's word says? Absolutely. It matches exactly what God's word says. But let me tell you one more thing. Very interesting. So in Genesis chapter 16, Abraham and Sarah had a different plan for, um, for this, this um, kingdom to go on forever, right? For these people. And so they got Hagar, the handmaiden, and Hagar had a child whose name was what? Ishmael. Okay? And Ishmael was also going to be a great nation. But in Genesis chapter 16, uh, God's word tells us that Ishmael was going to be um, at odds and in hostility against his brothers forever. Okay, so two nations warring against each other. So let's go to the next picture, and let's go back to this site built over, built by Herod the Great, over the cave of Abraham. And on top of this uh, small temple mount, if you will, um, there is the Abrahimi Mosque. Okay, the Abrahimi Mosque. And we get to go inside this mosque. Um, Every time we go, we get to go inside the mosque. And it's built over the cave of Abraham. And the little buildings in there that you can see, the little striped buildings, those would represent like Jacob's tomb and Leah's tomb and things like that. And so they come in and they worship there. And to go to the next picture, uh, for some reason, the women have to put on these crazy little outfits when you go into the mosque. And uh, they look like they're a bunch of Wiccans or something like that. Um, And they're never happy about having to put those on because the guys don't have to wear anything. Uh, But it's a really cool thing to be, be able to go into the mosque. And then go to the next picture. And this is an area that there is great hostility because on the other, on the top of the Temple Mount, half of it is the Abrahimi Mosque, and the other half is a Jewish study center. And so, so these two nations come together at the tomb of Abraham, and there's a lot of hostility, and uh, there's Kelly with uh, some of the Israeli soldiers that are right there before you're able to go into this area. You have to go through all that security and get checked, and then go to the next picture. And, and so this is a picture that's looking from the Abrahimi Mosque into what they have, like this big casket there covered in green um, that is symbolizing the tomb of Abraham. Okay, this is from looking from the mosque side. But do you see through the bars into that other area over there? That's the Jewish study center. So from the mosque side, you can look through the bars and you can see the tomb of Abraham. And from the Jewish side, you can look through the bars and you can see the tomb of Abraham because both nations claim Abraham as their father. But there's so much hostility that they put in, and I, and I marked it there, they had to put plexiglass shields, bulletproof shields, because from the mosque side and from the Jewish side, they would throw stuff at each other as they were both there to worship at the tomb of Abraham. Is God's word true? 
<laughs> I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than, wow, look what God's word said and look what we see as we get there. But I want to give you one last thing, and this is the treasure for the night. Okay, so if you're taking notes, this is the treasure for the night. And it's this, that Jesus is the only solution. That Jesus is the only solution. All of the hostility in our world, there's only one solution, and it's Jesus Christ. And it's by the promise of the Abrahamic covenant that a Messiah would come, and that Messiah is the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, and I end with this. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. And he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. Do you want to know what the answer is to uh, the, the political hostility in our world, the religious hostility in our world, the geographical hostility in our world? There's one answer. Who's the answer? It's Jesus. There's one answer. It's Jesus Christ. And we see this from the word of the Lord, right? The word of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. If we are going to have hope in this world today, and if we're going to have hope in our lives today, Jesus Christ is the answer, and God's word is perfect, and we can see it. Uh, we don't just have to believe it by faith. There's evidence that it's true. And so as we close tonight, I hope that God's word has encouraged and strengthened you. Maybe you learned something today that you can walk out of here and go, wow, like this book is the real deal, just like the word of God says it is. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for our chance to be in your word. God, thank you for the opportunity to go, man, we don't just have to believe this by faith. There's actual evidence that we can see that the word of the Lord is perfect and anything that's perfect revives the soul. And so, God, we thank you for that. We pray that as we go tonight that we would be encouraged by your word and strengthened. And we would be on mission as we go to encourage and strengthen those around us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.